0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 165 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we begin with a look at Facebook's six-hour outage and question whether it was a hack or whether it was simply a misconfiguration error. We then have a look at GDPR penalties in quarter three of 2021 which have been some 20 times higher than quarter one and quarter two combined. We then have news of a data breach at streaming service Twitch and we then have news of a data breach involving the BrewDog mobile app. We then have an example from Post Office Limited of how not to deal with a data breach which is in their instance what they actually did was repeat the data breach with a session data breach and we then have news of a data breach at cryptocurrency Coinbase we then travel to the US where a Navistar data breach has led to court action and remaining in the US we travel to Los Angeles where next level apparel have suffered a data breach and then finally this week we look at whether GDPR and POPIA the South African data protection laws are indeed complementary so as always a good range of articles for you this week we hope that you find the articles useful and informative as always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at feedback@gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. Unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday, 4 p.m. UK time.
1: So we begin this week with news of course of Monday's outage of Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp, and then a shorter outage on Friday evening. The outage on Monday evening, which lasted for almost six hours, was perhaps a indication of the danger of having all your eggs in one basket. Because whether it was a hack or not, Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp were all down for six hours and as we understood. Most of Facebook's internal systems were also down for the same period of time because they were all built around the same platform and indeed there were even reports that in California Facebook employees couldn't get into Facebook premises because their passes would no longer work to get them through security at the door to get in. So was it a hack? Well, the company says not. Facebook says that it was simply an error in configuration changes on routers that are used to coordinate traffic and it said that no user data had been compromised. However, there have been credible reports on the dark web of people who claim to have been involved in the hack, and it has to be said that that the fact that it went down again on Friday evening hmm, perhaps draws some doubts into the company's record of, of accounts because a company the size of Facebook, I'm fairly certain, would A, hopefully have had procedures in place to recover far quicker than six hours, and B, certainly would have had procedures in place to stop it happening again just four days later. Now, some newspapers in the UK have linked Facebook being down to the subsequent appearance of 1.5 billion alleged Facebook users' details being made for sale on the dark web. However, we have not seen any conclusive proof that the data for sale, or that was for sale because Facebook has now managed to take those postings offering sale down, But we've seen no evidence at all that that data was actually stolen. It was all data that actually could have been scraped from the screen using screen scrapers. And so whilst it's concerning that one and a half billion users' details have appeared on the dark web, I actually think it's totally unconnected with the outages on Monday evening and Friday evening. As I say, I think whether it was a hack or not, probably we will never know. If it was a hack, it shows the power that hackers have. If it wasn't a hack, I think it still would have alerted lots of people to the danger of having all their eggs in one basket. I think particularly the number of businesses that I know that run their whole business now on Facebook products. You know, they have a Facebook group for subscription, they use Instagram, they use WhatsApp, they don't use anything else. And that's dangerous. that's dangerous for any of us. That's why we always recommend using a wide spread of products because then you spread your risk. Because any product can get taken down at any time. But if you built your business solely on the back of Facebook, then I think Monday evening and Friday evening this week will have woken you up, or I hope they have. That's not to say don't use Facebook. It's not to say don't use Instagram or WhatsApp. They're great products. We use Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp every single day. But don't build your business to rely on them. If we get any further feedback from Facebook, WhatsApp, or Instagram, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. When we're talking to companies and talking to other organisations, we sometimes get thrown at us, well, why should we worry about GDPR? Because, you know, no one really gets fined, do they? And, you know, the fines are fairly insignificant. Well, until probably six months ago, we might have agreed with you on that. But things are certainly changing put that into context, across Europe, in quarter three of 2021, fines have amounted to over $1.1 billion. Now, to put that into context, and we do, of course, have to take the COVID effect into account here as well, but that figure of $1.1 billion in quarter three of 2021 is 20 times higher than the combined totals of quarter one and quarter two in 2021 and triple the amount handed out in 2020. And the other point we would make is that the nature of these fines and penalties is changing. Again, until 12 months ago, probably, we would have said, you only really have to worry if you have a data breach. If you don't have a data breach, you're not going to get a penalty. But that's all changed because the ICO and the other regulators across Europe have started imposing fines not just for a data breach, but just for a breach of the regulations. And that can be as simple as, not having a data retention policy. That can be as simple as not being able to prove that your suppliers who handle data on your behalf, i.e. your data processors, are themselves GDPR compliant. Because if you're the data controller, it falls on you to make sure that your data processor is compliant. If they're not, it's you who gets a penalty. We're very pleased to say that all of our 140 plus clients in the UK, the Netherlands, Ireland and the USA have between them never had a single ICO penalty or GDPR regulator penalty, and we intend to keep that to be the case. So, if you'd like the peace of mind of that being the case in your company or organization, then please do contact us using the contact details which are coming up right now.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: Facebook weren't the only major platform to have issues this week. The Amazon-owned gaming platform Twitch suffered a data breach that experts called a highly targeted attack. Twitch on Wednesday confirmed it had suffered a breach and said its teams were working to understand the extent of the breach. The breach revealed a large trove of sensitive data, including Twitch's entire source code and several years of payout information on the service's most popular streamers, according to video game news platform Video Games Chronicle, which first reported the hack. What perhaps is incredible is that someone managed to exfiltrate 125 gigabytes of data without tripping a single alarm. The hacker posted a leak to the online forum 4chan and said they carried it out to foster more disruption and competition in the online video streaming space. We reached out to Amazon for a comment, but they said they could not comment at the moment whilst they were still investigating the issue. In the meantime, they recommend that users take precautions such as changing their password for Twitch and changing that password if they use that same password on other services. The hack could mean major problems for Twitch, which has more than 51 million users. If we do receive any update from Amazon or Twitch on this, we will explain it to you in a future episode of the GPL Weekly Show. BrewDog is said to have exposed the details of 200000 of its equity for punks, shareholders and customers for approximately 18 months following a flaw in the company's mobile app. A fault with the way that BrewDog's mobile app handled token authentication, which resulted in tokens being hard-coded into the application mud and sent after a successful authentication request, meant that hackers could have easily bypassed the check and accessed user information. Security consultants at Pentest Partners, who discovered the fault, Found that every user's mobile app was given the same hard coded API bearer token, effectively nullifying the authentication check. The researchers, several of whom happened to be Brewdog investors, found that they could append a different customer ID to the end of the API endpoint URL and access the customer's information. This included their name, date of birth, email and delivery addresses, number of shares held, shareholder number, and bar discount amount. Researchers at PTP said an attacker could brute force the customer IDs and download the entire database of customers. Not only could this identify shareholders with the largest holdings along with their home addresses, it could also have been used to generate a lifetime supply of discount QR codes. They also found that the use of hard-coded tokens was introduced with version 2.55 of the app, released in March 2020, meaning the app has been potentially vulnerable for around 18 months. Following an alert to Blue the company released a new version of the app on the 13th of September. However, researchers claim it still allowed hackers to download bar discount codes for all users. A subsequent update then added the researchers to its beta program to help it solve the issue. By the 27th of September, a new version of the app was released. In a statement, a BrewDog spokesperson said We were recently informed of a vulnerability in one of our apps by a third-party technical security services firm following which we immediately took the app down and resolved the issue. We have not identified any other instances of access via this route or personal data having been impacted in any way. There was therefore no requirement to notify users. We are grateful to the third-party technical security services firm for alerting us to the vulnerability. In an email, BrewDog said that it has yet to find evidence in its activity logs that the vulnerability had been exploited or that any data had been exposed, although it was working to validate this conclusion. The company also said that one of the factors in user notification is evidence of a breach as mandated by the ICO, adding that any user notification, if appropriate, would happen once the latest improvements were in place to limit further risk to its users. However, PTP said it was unsure how Blue Dog would have validated whether a vulnerability had been exploited. Every request would be coming from the valid account but with a valid but identical bearer token, the researchers said. How, therefore, would they prove that the request was from the valid user and not from someone unknown? We actually think there's a more pertinent point here, which is that there is potentially a data breach of which BrewDog is aware, and yet BrewDog would have chosen not to notify the ICO, and we actually consider that in itself to be a breach of GDPR. Now, of course, there is a question of how many people could have been affected, but it does seem that potentially it could be many, many people. And whether that data is personally identifiable data, but in this case it clearly is. So if we did offer any advice to BrewDog, it would be that we feel that you should actually be reporting that breach to the ICO.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday, 4pm UK time.
1: Post Office Limited has provided a good example of how not to deal with a data breach this week. The company has admitted to a GDPR data breach involving people who objected to the plans to close Hayath Post Office in Bradford. An email was sent out by the company on September 16th to thank the recipients for sharing their views on the consultation to move Hayath Post Office and relocate it to a co-op store. But the email contained 155 visible email addresses belonging to people who had responded. The company then tried to recall the first email but in doing so the sender failed to blind the recipients so another email was sent out containing the same 155 visible email addresses. Tim Underwood, a recipient of the email, then reached out to Post Office Limited to inform them of the breach and they said regrettably the content of the email was correct. The email contained the email addresses of other recipients in error. As we were unable to recall the message, please can we ask you to delete the original email and reply to this email confirming this has been done. Mr Underwood said... It isn't acceptable, it's not a shambles and has been that dealt with the same vein of how our post office closure was dealt with. A post office spokesperson said, We take any data incident very seriously and are sorry for any concern caused by the recipients of the email in question. Initial action was taken to told the original email followed by a request that it be deleted by each recipient before a directed version was sent. We have notified the information to the minister's office, the ICO, about the incident and are looking at what we can do to ensure this does not happen again. A spokesperson for the ICO said people have the right to expect organisations will handle their personal information securely and responsibly. Post Office Limited has made us aware of this incident and we will assess the information provided. Now, if you're a regular listener to the GDPL Weekly Show, you'll know that we have said a number of times that one of the most common data breaches that we see is people's email addresses being included in CC rather than BCC when people send a bulk email. It really is so simple to solve. If you're sending an email, To more than one person outside of your organisation, and you don't have permission to share those people's email addresses, then make sure you put all the email addresses in BCC rather than CC, and the problem goes away. It's a 30 second fix to a much bigger problem, so please do take care and make sure that you use the CC field only when it's appropriate to do so.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: Coinbase has sent out letters to 6,000 customers informing them of a data breach that led to hackers wiping cryptocurrency accounts. The letter was sent months after customers started complaining that their accounts had been wiped, and the cryptocurrency exchange platform, which has 68 million users, has been criticised for the lack of action regarding the heist. Late last week, Coinbase confirmed that between March and May 2021, 6,000 US customers had fallen victim to a third-party campaign to gain unauthorised access so the accounts of Coinbase customers and moved customer funds off the Coinbase platform. The funds were transferred to crypto wallets unassociated with Coinbase, company stated in the letter, making the transaction impossible to retract. Some customers reported losing as much as $168,000. Not only did the threat actors manage to steal hundreds of thousands worth of cryptocurrency, but they also obtain personal information such as full name, email address, home address, date of birth, IP addresses for account activity, transaction history, account holdings and balance. The hackers managed to exploit a flaw in Coinbase's SMS account recovery process in order to receive an SMS two-factor authentication token. However, in order to log in to users' accounts, they would also need information such as an email address, password and phone number associated with the account as well as access to the customer's email account. Coinbase told the victims that it was not able to determine conclusively how these third parties gained access to this information. However, the company pointed to the probable phishing attacks or other social engineering techniques to trick a victim into unknowingly disclosing login credentials to a bad actor. We have not found any evidence that these third parties obtained this information from Coinbase itself, it stated in a letter, which it sent around six months after the breach had taken place. Victims of the heist will be reimbursed, Coinbase said, adding that it will ensure that all customers affected receive the full value of what they've lost. Customers were asked to change their passwords to a stronger combination that hasn't been used on other sites. The company is also working with law enforcement to investigate the issue, describing the status of the investigation as ongoing. When we receive updates on this situation from Coinbase, we will of course bring them to you in the next of episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR weekly show with your
0: host Keith Budden.
1: to America now and heavy truck and military vehicle manufacturer Navistar is facing a lawsuit over a data breach in May that may have exposed sensitive personal information from tens of thousands of current and former employees and house plan participants. Lawyers representing Thomas Calbrier a former Navistar engineer and Cherie Calbrier a company house plan participant Filed a lawsuit in US District Court for the Northern District of Illinois on October 1st, alleging that the company negligently stored personal information and failed to properly safeguard its and systems. The lawsuit seeks unspecified damages and class action status for others affected by the breach. Navistar maintained the private information in a reckless manner, states the complaint. Filed by lawyers with Chicago law firm Mason, Lights and Slinger. In particular, the private information was maintained on defendant Navistar's computer networking in a condition vulnerable to cyber attacks. The lawsuit came after Navistar, owned by Volkswagen's Trayton Group, disclosed that 49,000 people had been affected by the breach in a notice to the US Department of Health and Human Services on September 24th. Those affected are participants in the company's Employee Health Plan and Retiree Health and Life Insurance Plan. The information may have included social security numbers in addition to names, addresses and birth dates according to a security notice recently posted by Navistar on its website which mirrors letters sent to those affected by the breach. Navistar said it was not aware of any third party using the data. Navistar first disclosed what is characterised as a cyber security incident in an SEC filing on June 7th. The company said in the filing that it first detected the incident on May 20th but disclosed in the security notice that it believes it occurred earlier. The lawsuit characterizes the incident as a cyber attack and appears to challenge Navistar's version of their events. It alleges the attack was only detected on May the 31st, the date when the company said it first learned that data was stolen. Had Navistar properly monitored their property, they would have discovered the intrusion sooner, the complaint states. A cyber criminal group called Marquito, which operates a stolen data marketplace on the dark web, has claimed responsibility for the attack in June. The group posted data it claimed it had stolen from Navistar, offering it as a sample of a larger archive for sale. A representative for Marquito claimed in July that the attack on Navistar had lasted over a month and that the hatches were able to re enter the company's network several times. Marquito said it was not a ransomware attack. Navistar did not respond to requests for comment about the lawsuit but the company has told those affected by the breach that it takes the security of its systems and data very seriously and regrets any concern this situation may have caused. Navistar is committed to system security and the protection of its corporate customer, dealer, current and former employee and planned participant information, the company said. The company has taken a number of steps to enhance its security protocols and controls, technology and training, and continues to assess additional options to protect its IT systems. The company is offering those affected by the breach two years of credit and identity monitoring. However, the lawsuit says those measures are insufficient and that the Calibres face substantial and present risk of fraud and identity theft. If we receive any update on this, either from the lawyers involved or from Navistar, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDW Weekly Show. Remaining in the Next Level Apparel, a US clothing manufacturer and e-commerce operator, has alerted customers to a data breach connected to the compromise of employee mailboxes. A limited number of employee email accounts were compromised via phishing, which gave cybercriminals access to the contents of the accounts at various times between February 17, 2021 and April 28, 2021, said Next Level Apparel in a press release issued on October 5th. This resulted in unauthorised access to information contained in some email accounts, including names accompanied by social security numbers, financial and check account numbers, payment card numbers, driver's licence numbers, and limited medical and health information. Netzler Apparel, a wholesale producer and online retailer of blank apparel, said it could not confirm that any individual's information was in fact viewed by any unauthorised person. The Los Angeles-based company said it has started mailing letters to victims from whom they had address information. It has also set up a dedicated call centre that is filled in queries from anyone concerned about the incident. A breach alert posted to the company's website on Monday offers potentially affected customers advice on how to protect themselves against fraud or identity theft. To help prevent something like this from happening in the future, next level of power is instituting additional security measures, the company said. To further protect personal information, we are taking steps to enhance our existing email security protocols and re educating our staff for awareness on these types of incidents. The company said it was not yet able to state precisely how many customers had been affected by the data breach. If we receive any update from to Power, we will of course bring it to you in the Netster episode of the GDPR Witch Show.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4 pm UK time.
1: We had an inquiry on our help desk this week from one of our customers in South Africa about how GDPR interacts with the South African Protection of Personal Information Act 2013, POPIA. We first considered the extraterritorial scope of GDPR because Article 3, Paragraph 1 of GDPR provides that GDPR applies to processing personal data in the context of the activities of an establishment of a controller or a processor in the EU regardless of whether the processor takes place in the EU or not. In Article 3, Paragraph 2, the GDPR sets out the extraterritorial scope and provides that this regulation applies to processing the personal data of data subjects within the union by a controller or processor not established in the union, where the processing activities are related to either a. the offering of goods or services irrespective of whether a payment of the data subject is required to such data subjects in the union, or b. the monitoring of their behaviour as far as their behaviour takes place within the union and of course this extraterritorial scope has been tested and established. However, if we look at POPIA, then Section 3, Paragraph 1 of POPIA provides that POPIA applies to processing personal information entered in a record by or for a responsible person, party in or out of South Africa for use of automated or non-automated means in the South African Republic unless those means are used only to forward personal information through the Republic. Automated means, for the purposes of this, means any equipment capable of operating automatically in response to instructions given for the purpose of processing information. So what does this mean? Well, it means, in our view, that GDPR and POPIA can essentially both be run side by side because there really is no conflict in the way that they're describing what happens. It just depends whether, in a particular case being looked at, it is a South African data controller who's using a UK data processor, or the other way round, that it's a UK data controller using a South African data processor. In the first case, if it's a South African data controller using a UK data processor, then POPIA applies. And if it's the other way round, and it's a UK data controller using a South African data processor, then GDPR applies.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at GDPRweeklyshow.com
1: the GDPR Weekly Show is an insurety production.
0: Until next time, bye bye.